Amen. Take your Bibles and find the book of Daniel. We're going to be teaching for a few moments out of the book of Daniel. And uh, I trust you have uh, taken up the challenge and you're participating in the fast. We're in the middle of a 21-day fast. Uh, If you had not heard about it or you've uh, not latched hold of it, there's still time. It's always good to fast. There's numerous types of fasts, and uh, you can start right away if you'd like, so you don't have to be left out, and God does incredible things uh, when we fast individually and when we fast corporately. And uh, we're one week into the fast. Uh, The theme, which I believe a year or so ago, maybe two years ago now, I believe it was Rachel Platt that came up with it. It was Let It Growl, all right? That's the fast theme, let it growl. And uh, when you hear that stomach growling, it means God's getting ready to speak. Amen. That's a good way to look at it. Well, we're one week into it. I want to give you some exhortation. I want to remind you that fasting is not a requirement. Uh, It's a choice. Fasting does not somehow guarantee your salvation It's an important, I believe, spiritual discipline, but it's not guaranteeing salvation. It it doesn't uh, make you feel better than someone else. It doesn't get you brownie points with God, and I mean that sincerely. There are some people, I think, who believe that if they fast, somehow God has this brownie point tote board, and he keeps track of that, and he says, oh, here's a faster, so I'll definitely, they're in the front of the line when it comes to hearing prayers and things like that. That's not how it works. Um, In fact... To be candid with you, uh, we, we are saved, you, you remember, by grace through faith. So it's a free gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so as you begin to do spiritual disciplines, don't fall into the trap of thinking just because you're jumping through a few hoops or just because you're practicing a few disciplines that somehow, some way, uh, that makes you better than someone else. And the only reason I say that is because you can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And so we're constantly having to monitor the heart. But we are fasting because it is in the Scripture, it is an important discipline, and it does provide uh, certain things in our spiritual life that are critically important. And so the choice to fast is the choice to come away from the routine activities, including eating, of your life, and to pursue God with intentionality. It's not on the screen overhead, but that's important. Fasting is the choice you make to come away from routine things and pursue God with intentionality. Now, it could be you need strength. Maybe you're needing some understanding, some revelation on a subject. Maybe you're needing a little insight. I honestly believe that fasting can increase the ability of God to release power in your life, to give you strategy for things. The list is endless because you're pursuing God. And when you pursue God, you're tapping in to unlimited resource. Amen. God has unlimited resource. So, so you need to get to Him, and one of the ways you do that is through fasting. Now, if you found the book of Daniel, I'm going to be reading out of Daniel chapter 1 several verses, and as my wife mentioned to you this morning, I entitled the message, The Power of a Made-Up Mind. 
I've been reading Jensen Franklin's new fasting book, The Fasting Edge, and he just had so many wonderful points. And I have to admit, I, I'm, I'm lifting a point that he made, and it just was quickened in my heart. I want to share it with you this morning, the power of a made-up mind. Daniel chapter 1. I want to begin reading with verse 3. It says, Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. I'm going to leap over to verse 8. It says, But Daniel purposed in his heart. That might be a good phrase to underline or to highlight or to circle but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. I'm going to stop there. The power of a made-up mind. Now, here in chapter 1, we will actually, in its context, begin to find the outline of what some of you have come to know as the Daniel Fast. If you are doing the Daniel Fast, perhaps you googled it or you've been with us in years past and you found out what the Daniel Fast entails, this is the chapter whereby the fast that we call Daniel fast is, is derived from. And it is the context that Daniel and his friends here are a part of the Jewish nation that has been taken into captivity into this Babylonian environment. Now, I've often mentioned to people that the word Babylon, if you would follow its etymology, actually means the place of confusion. You'll remember in Genesis, uh, the early chapters, where there in Babel they were building a tower... And they were trying to reach God by unrighteous means. And he came in and he confused the building project by giving everyone a different language. And so there was this confusion that took place at Babel. And of course, Babel is the uh, foundation of Babylon. And Babylon is the place of confusion. Now, I want to ask you this. Have you ever found yourself in Babylon? Have you ever found yourself in a place of confusion? A place of hostility? A place that you can't make sense out of. A place that you feel like you're in captivity to. It's not the place you want to be. It's a place that is is, is very much hostile to the things of God. And if it were up to you and there was a vote taken, you'd very much want to vote yourself out of Babylon. And this is where we find Daniel and his friends located. And as they're in this Babylon, as they're in this place of confusion, they're finding right off the bat opportunities for compromise. In fact, as we begin the very book of Daniel, we find that as they've been carted away into Babylonian captivity, that the king has decided that in order to make uh, the people profitable, 
And in fact, he has an interesting strategy here. He literally doesn't go for the old folk or the parents, but he goes for the kids. Always remember that the enemy goes for the kids. Because the enemy knows if he gets the kids, he gets generations. So he goes for the sharpest ones. He goes for the, the ones that have the best minds. They're good looking. They have their act together. Daniel's a part of that group. And so Daniel is confronted, along with his friends, opportunities for compromising and backsliding in the midst of this Babylonian captivity. Now, the question is, why couldn't Daniel eat the king's food? Well, the short answer is this. The king's food was dedicated, dedicated to the heathen gods that they worshipped, and Daniel did not want any sense of compromise to come into his life as he would partake from the king's table. It wasn't that it wasn't cooked right, it wasn't just because it wasn't good for you, but this food was dedicated to the heathen gods. And if he were to partake of it, it would compromise his testimony and compromise his walk with God. And, and I like Daniel, and, and I know many people do, and it's because Daniel's problem, in many ways, is an illustration to many of our problems. You and I live in a hostile environment, is that not true? We live in a culture that worships many gods. I'm just not talking about gods of other religions, I'm talking about gods like sports, and idols like celebrities and Hollywood, and movie stars. We live in a, in a nation that has all sorts of gods and idols, and it's a hostile environment with which all of us, much like Daniel, are presented opportunities to compromise probably on a fairly regular basis. Now the key to understanding Babylon, and Persia, or Assyria, or even ancient Rome, is that the problem was not here that Jews... We're introducing God or their God into an atheistic culture. And I want you to hear me now. Our problem as Christian believers is not that we are in a culture that is ostensibly uh, atheistic. Because truth of the matter is atheists compile a very small percentage of the population here in America. The issue is not that somehow, you know, we, we worship God and we're in the middle of an atheistic culture. And that wasn't Daniel's problem. But all of these cultures, including Daniel's and including ours, have lots of gods to choose from. The problem doesn't come because we bring another god with us. The problem comes when you declare there is but one god. See, that's the problem. That was the problem with the early church. The early church had no problem with you putting your Jesus statue up on your fireplace mantle along with the, the sun god and the rain god and Zeus and, 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 and Neptune and all the other gods they had. You could put Jesus up there too. They didn't mind if Jesus fit in to the, to the plethora of gods that they had in their culture. They never mind if Jesus is one of many. What they mind is when you say Jesus is the only way. That's when things get sticky. Exclusivity will cause an uproar every time. And that's what was going on here. In fact, Daniel faces it several times in his life. He faces, he faces the crossroad as to whether he will worship the one true God or whether he assimilates all the other gods. You see, as long as Jesus is equal and participating in the local fellowships of deities in your city, he's welcome with open arms. As long as Jesus 
is a God along with your sports. As long as Jesus is God along with, with your lusts. As long as Jesus is God, you know, along with everything else that this society sets up as idols, you'll be fine. But the minute you say Jesus is King of Kings and He is Lord of Lords, there's none like Him. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through Him. The moment you say that, well, that's when the fireworks start. We live today in a Babylonian culture. We live in the same, same atmosphere of ancient Rome. And the only way you can miss this is if you are blind, and indeed it appears as if many are just that. So the question becomes, how do you survive in that kind of environment? How do you prevail in your faith, in your journey, as you're walking with the Lord, you're wanting to serve God, you're wanting to love the God with all your heart, but there's this pressure, you're in Babylon, and this pressure to compromise is, is great, and it's, it's almost overwhelming. What happens when your job, your future, your life is on the line and all of a sudden, whatever king it might be in your life asks you to relinquish your convictions, to compromise your faith, to eat from the table of the heathen gods. And all of a sudden, you're there and you're put on the spot and compromise is looking at you eye to eye. What in the world do you do? Well, the answer is, you go back to the place where you stood before God and you made up your mind. You see, the text says here, but Daniel purposed in his heart. Somewhere Daniel had purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He made up his mind. Now, when you get right down to it, there are really only two things that will determine your future. Your choices and your responses to God. I'll say that again. There are two things that will determine your future. And you've heard me say this. I, say, I try to say it in a funny way, but you know it's true. Good choice equals good life. Bad choice equal. Come on, say it again. Bad choice equal. But good choice equal. Now, isn't that amazing? You would think people would get a hold of that. But unfortunately, many do not. And so you have to understand that your future is conditioned upon the choices you may be even making at this very moment. Now, the Bible is full of these moments, these choice response moments. In fact, from Genesis to the Revelation, over and over and over again, you find people who are confronted in some form or fashion with choices and crossroads or divine moments in which they have to make a decision, they have to make a choice, they have to respond to God, and, and all of their futures are conditioned upon how they handle this moment. Now I want to read to you just a couple of them because I find it interesting. In Joshua, for example, Joshua twenty four fifteen, can you post that, guys? It says this. Joshua writes, and, and it's in the context of the Jews moving into the promised land. They're securing their, their inheritances, their futures. Are you hearing me? Their future was good. It was the promised land. They're going in and securing it. And this is what 
Joshua says to them, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, Joshua was looking at them and he was saying this, It is time to make up your mind. Make up your mind. Because once you make up your mind, once you purpose in your heart what it is that you will do, when the, when the circumstance comes your way, there's nothing to pray about anymore. I mean, I mean, when you're solicited to sin, you don't have to get on your knees and seek God for two weeks whether you'll sin or not. You see, you purposed in your heart that you're going to go God's way. Now, in 1 Kings... 1821 and i like this because elijah is talking again to the nation of israel because they're vacillating uh, between ahab and jezebel and uh, their unrighteousness and whether or not they will respond to god who's reaching out to them he literally calls out to the nation and he says this elijah came to all the people and said how long will you falter between two opinions if the lord is god follow him but if baal i like see i like that guy he looks at him and he says don't Don't give me this stuff about how you love God, but you're at Baal's table. If you're going to do Baal, do Baal. Just have enough integrity of life that if you're going to sin, just be good at it. Come on. Don't hide your drunkenness. Venerate it. Don't hide your sin. Let everybody know. If you're proud of it, do it. The reason you hide it is because intuitively you know it's not the thing to do. That's America. We're this Christian nation. And yet underneath the current, we're all doing what we ought not be doing. And Elijah just looks at the nation. He says, hey, if you want the other gods, then do it. But if it's it's the one true and living God, follow him. And it says, the people answered him, not a word. They never would make up their mind. Never make up their mind. Every every choice in your life, listen to me, every choice in your life is a choice for something, but then by necessity, it's against something else. You see, you can't choose one thing and think you get to keep the other thing. See, there's a saying that most of you have heard about your cake and eating it too. That came from that very concept. You you can't choose this option without leaving some other options. It's interesting because uh, we're a nation that loves choices. We love to go to buffets and we love thousands of choices. It's not like we're going to eat all this food. We just like the choices. We love to have large menus. We like, to, we like to have a lot of things that we can pick and choose from. And we always want to keep our options open. We never want to box ourselves in. We're always wanting to make sure we have a way of escape or something, you know. I want to have a plan B in case plan A doesn't work. And we're always going to leave ourselves a little room for a little negotiation, a little wiggle room, never really landing because you never really know what the future holds But you see, you'll never get to God's will that way. They couldn't get into the promised land that way. And I'm finding out the longer that I live, 
There is power in a made-up mind. They say, well, why, Pastor? Why do you think it's important? Well, it's because, folks, temptation, listen to me, temptation and adversity are going to come. Can you say amen to that? Come on now. Hey, temptation and adversity is going to come. You're going to be challenged some moment, someday, sometime, somewhere. And here's, here's the key. When that moment comes, the choices you make will be easy because you've made up your mind. The reason people fall and fail usually is they've never made up their mind. I believe there's this, there's this space or this trigger in the mind that you get to where you just simply say, I've made up my mind. My, my choices, I know some of my choices will be tested, but I have made up my mind. So here's my question today. The question is this, have you made up your mind? Have you made it up? I was thinking through the Bible of several characters. I thought about Joseph. You remember Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers. And the first stop he made after being sold into slavery was in Potiphar's house. And so he's serving successfully in Potiphar's house. But apparently Potiphar is away quite often. His wife is left there. And his wife takes a liking to Joseph. You know the story. And she begins to flirt with Joseph. She begins to woo Joseph. Until finally she makes an all-out attempt at uh, 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 capturing Joseph for sexual purposes. And when that moment came, because he was in a slave position, of course, he, 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 I'm sure, had to serve dinner and do other things. I mean, there was no way out of that. But when the moment came that, it, that, a, that a decision had to be made and Potiphar's wife began to chase him, he knew he had to run. Why? It's because somewhere in there he made up his mind. Don't tell me that you, you, just, you just fall into things. Listen, if you make up your mind, you don't fall into anything. Come on, there's some victory to this. Daniel, the person we're talking to here, faced this again later in life when he was told to pray to the golden image. And uh, they did some backstabbing and there was some manipulating that went on and, and he was told that he had to kneel and, and, and venerate and pray to this golden image. And anyone that didn't pray to the golden image, as you remember, would be under threat of death. And I know many people would say, well, well, what do you do under a situation like that? Well, it's easy if you've made up your mind. You don't pray to the image. But I might die. And? You see, the power of a made-up mind. And he refused to compromise or capitulate even under the threat of death. And God, listen to me, I don't know, he could have died. Many Christians have died because of their convictions. But you'll never see some miracles in your life until you make up your mind that you're going to serve Him no matter what. All through Scripture, the saints prevail because they made up their mind. And I think the reason at times we're weak is because we refuse to make up our mind. I'm just going to use this. I, uh, Well, not just me, my wife and I will be married this April 30 years. Yeah, that's pretty good. In this day and age, it's real good. We will have been married 30 years. And I've had people come to me, come to us on occasion, and they'll ask things like that. Hey, are there any special clues? Any insight? Oh, it must be perpetual romance. Well, 
there might be some clues and some insight and there's been romance on occasion. Yes, there has been. But can I, can I just tell you what the real secret is? You just made up your mind. You just made up your mind. How do you, I've had people say, how do, you, how do you pastor? How do you stay in the ministry? How do you keep going forward after all that's happened to you? I mean, how do you do that? Give us some secrets. You know, speak to us at a conference. Give us the ten ways that you can, you can uh, uh, you know, prevail in ministry and the secret to longevity. And give us, give us the mysteries of the universe. All right, I'll give you one. You just make up your mind. You make up your mind. Now, listen, the carnal mind can make up its mind too. When the carnal mind makes up its mind, that's what we call obstinate. Obstinate. The carnal mind doesn't want the things of God, and so it it makes up its mind, no way, no how, I'm not doing it, and it becomes rebellious and obstinate. But listen to me. There's, There's God was amazing in the creation of the human being. He gave us certain mechanisms inside of us that could be used for righteousness or it could be used for unrighteousness. In fact, a lot of times the same things that were meant to glorify God, people corrupt and they're used for selfish, self-centered purposes. And that's why you can look at the wicked and they can prosper and it can seem like things are going pretty well in their life. It's because they may have corrupted things that God had originally designed to give Him glory. And I think the mind is, is certainly one of those things. And when you have a carnal mind and you decide you're going to use the power of a made-up mind for carnal purposes, you become obstinate and rebellion and, and you don't have ears to hear and you won't have eyes to see and your heart becomes callous. And ultimately you'll end up in destruction. It always works that way. But the interesting thing is, is that when the mind is renewed and you begin to desire the will of God, And when you really want to walk with Him and you understand He's got good things for you and you want His purposes in your life and you know with Him there is a future and there is a hope and if you harness the the, the determination it's called in your mind, you will find yourself moving through issues in a far, I think, easier fashion. It doesn't mean that the situation's easy. It means the decision-making was easier. Now I'm going to give you some keys to this and how you can... Get that moving in your life. The keys to a made-up mind. Now, again, this is, this is a Christ-honoring mind. If, if, if you've got a carnal mind and you're just going to do it your way and you don't want to hear anything about the ways of God, you can, you can make up your mind and you can make yourself obstinate and uh, you will find yourself intractable. I will share this with you, though. God, God is the only one that is not thwarted by your intractability. He can, he can break through a lot of things. And when He breaks through... That can be a whole lot more uh, uh, painful and tumultuous than if you just yielded to him and said, yes, Lord, I want to follow your ways. So I'm talking about a renewed mind and what are some keys to a made-up mind, a Christ-honoring mind. Number one, you have got to prepare your mind for adversity. Prepare your mind for adversity. Now, I don't think we've done this well in our church, uh, the church at large. Our tendency has been to say, follow Jesus and everything will be okay. I've heard that. Come to Jesus and you'll be blessed, you'll be helped, uh, you'll be favored, he'll make life smooth. I don't, I don't know, maybe you got a different Jesus than the one I've, I, I received. I, I, Jesus brought a little upheaval to my life. That's just truth in advertising. 
Can I just share one thing that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5? And this is in those nice beatitudes. You know, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God and all those nice little beatitudes. This is what he also said that we never get to, Matthew 5, 11. It says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. Bet you never knew you were being blessed at that particular moment, did you? You were getting a blessing at that moment. Someone's cussing you out and you're being blessed. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Verse 12, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's Jesus right there. He said, blessed are you when they come after you. When adversity comes your way, he said, rejoice, it's going to happen. Now, nobody likes adversity, nobody likes persecution. There's never a sign-up sheet at the desk out there that says, you know, persecution 101, sign up. Nobody likes that, but it comes. The reason it comes is because there is a hostile environment. It is a Babylonian system. You walk out of here with the kingdom of God inside of you and you are at variance with the very world system. Therefore, there will be clashes. Jesus said, get ready, prepare for adversity. Listen to 1 Peter 4.12. It says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Next verse. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Now I realize those aren't the happy verses. I understand that 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 isn't going to make you do headstands and run out of this place shouting glory, but it will help you understand this, that when you're facing adversity, it's not something that's strange. It's something that you can prepare for. Scripture tells us this so we will prepare. Why? Because it's like running a marathon. You can't can't run a marathon and somewhere in the middle of that marathon, and for me it would be just a few blocks into it, you suddenly say to yourself, oh, I guess I should have prepared for this thing. I've got .2 under my belt and I still got 26 miles to go. How many of you know, once the gun sounds, you better be ready to run. You have to be determined before the race begins that you will go the distance. It's like a fast. When we begin a fast, the reason sometimes I think it gets difficult in the midst of it is because we may have had great intent at the beginning. We may have been excited to be participating. We know that it's something God would really like us to do. But we never settled it in our mind that we were going to go the distance. And when you settle in your mind that you're going the distance, something can begin to happen in you that gives you the ability to prevail. Daniel determined long before he found himself in Babylon as to what his decisions were going to be. You see, men, when that little young thing at work begins to flirt with you, You've already determined in your mind long before you ever get into that scenario what it is you're going to do. That's the power of a made-up mind. Ladies, when the gossiping starts and you begin to hear it come in your direction, you don't have to wonder in the middle of it, should I go here? You've made up your mind. 
you are prepared. When the heat is turned on, you go back to 1 Peter 4.12. Post that again, guys. 1 Peter 4.12. Don't think this moment strange concerning the trial which is there, as if something strange was happening to you. When you're in the middle of temptation, the power of a lust pulling at you, when you're in these moments, that's the moment when the heat is turned on, when all of this is applicable, when life is easy and it's smooth and it's favored. Come on, let's be honest. You aren't practicing much precept at all. You're just enjoying the moment. But the minute the heat gets turned on your life is the moment you can say, hey, I've prepared for this moment. I've set my course. I've made up my mind. I know exactly what my decision is going to be. I often share this. I've shared this with my children. I've shared this with other people as well when they're serving God. A lot of times I've shared this to people who are going into the ministry and they're considering whether or not they're called to the ministry. I've shared this with them. I can't exactly identify the moment this happened, but I know somewhere in those early days, and I know that I was called to the ministry probably at age, you know, I was, I, it was in 78, so I think I was about 18 years old. And I can remember through the years, and, and again, I've been preaching since I was 19 years old. I pastored when I was 24 years old. I'm 52. Long time. And, and I can tell you all through these years, there have been moments all along the way you're faced with a moment or a circumstance that, that tugs at you with everything it's got that makes you want to throw in the towel. And I'm not just talking about just the ministry. I'm talking about even your faith. You're saying, I don't even know if I want to do this Jesus thing anymore. I mean, this is hard. It doesn't seem like I'm very encouraged in it. It seems like other people, you know, it seems like their life's so much better. I understand all the processes that go through your mind as you're walking with God and you're looking at the world. And the enemy has an amazing way at making the world incredibly alluring. Don't forget, the Bible does say there's pleasure in sin for a season. But then it goes on to say that the way of the transgressor is hard. So I understand all those dynamics that take place. And, and in my own life, I, I, I can go back and I can remember there were moments it was hard and God was working on me and He was pulling stuff out of me and junk out of me and there were challenges and circumstances and choices. And I, Let me tell you, I didn't, I didn't skate through this thing easy like some think. Some think that certain people get a, a buy or a pass. On, on the issues of life. Boy, is that a joke. The same things that happened to you have happened to us all. And I know that there have been those moments and people have asked, they say, what? How do you get through that? What do you do? How, how is it when everything you're wanting to quit and all this, what do you do? And, and I, this is the analogy I make it. I, I put a stake in the ground and I hammered in my mind the stake in the ground that I know what God has asked me to do. I know when He talked to me. I know when He called me. I know that I know that I know. And when all hell is raging and when it's difficult and those moments come and you want to throw in the towel, in my mind I will look back to that stake and I'll reach back and I'll hold that stake. And I'll say, let the wind blow, let, let the problems rage, but I know that I know that I know and I'm not quitting. 
The kingdom is for those who endure to the end. It does not matter how many are on the starting line. It matters who gets to the finish line. That's what you got to put inside of you. There's a stake in the ground. Maybe your stake will be when you were born again. There was a stake in the ground. Maybe it was a stake in the ground when God talked to you about a direction you needed to go. There's a stake in the ground. Can I just say this? I don't care what your background is now. And if you've come in here divorced, there's forgiveness and there's restoration. And, and, and I understand God gives a clean slate. But whomever you're married to at this moment, I'm going to help you right now. When you said, I do, there was a stake in the ground. And when, and when hell rages against your relationship, that's the stake I go back to. Let it rage. Sometimes all you can do when a hurricane comes is tie yourself in, let the wind blow, and then pick up the pieces. But the stake is in the ground. you got to prepare your mind for that. There's power in that moment. That's just number one. Number two, you got to understand where the real battle is fought. This one's a short point. Your success or failure in spiritual matters, your success or failure in your convictions or your decisions, your success or failure in just being a disciple of the Lord's is directly linked to your mind. The battle is fought in your brain long before you face it in a circumstance. When you think quit, you will speak quit. And when you speak quit, you are engaging spiritual power that will eventually lead you to quit. You listen to people who talk about quitting their job and, and as they keep saying it, they'll eventually quit their job because they're speaking it. When they're, when they're talking the words of, of, of backsliding, when they're talking the words of divorcing, when they're talking the words of, of slipping back or compromise, when they begin to talk the words, number one is they're revealing what's going on inside of them. But as they speak these things, you can pretty much count on it that when the words come forth you'll eventually see the action manifested. So if you think quit, you'll speak quit, and you eventually will quit. But here's the good news. When you think faith, and when you talk faith, and when you confess victory, and when you declare the promise, and when you keep them before your eyes, you will keep walking forward by faith. It doesn't matter how fast I get to the promise. It's whether or not the promise comes. God didn't say it'd be 24 hours and you get everything you want. God said, trust me in this thing and I'll get you to where you need to be. That's why I'm preaching until I'm in my mid-90s. Because I figure I got some things out there that God's promised that may take some time to get to and I'm going to get there. So you keep speaking it and thinking it and going forward in it. That's where the battle is thought, and that's why Paul would later say, set your mind on things above. Set it. Set your mind on things above. It's just like you set your mind on that football game. You set your mind on that pair of shoes or that purse. I'm meddling now, aren't I? Understand where the real battle is fought. Number three, when adversity arrives, stick to the plan. When adversity arrives, stick to the plan. 
There's an old saying, never make permanent decisions based on a temporary circumstance. Never make permanent decisions based on a temporary circumstance. You don't change your mind about following God just because a different circumstance blows your direction. Come on now, you, 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 can't, you can't determine your, your service and your walk with God based on your circumstances. Circumstances are subject, subject to change. I, was, I had a friend uh, years ago in the upstate who was a Marine recon specialist in Vietnam. I don't know if you know anything about those who are in recon, um, but he was telling me about what his job was. They would literally, in Vietnam, uh, take him by helicopter and drop him behind enemy lines. And his job, listen to this, was that he would run, run through enemy camps. Literally. They would drop him off, and all by himself, he would run through an enemy camp. And as he was running through the enemy camp, he would begin to count troops, get a layout of the camp, sprint out of the camp and then make his way back to the pickup point in order that he could go back and report what he had seen. (laughs) I'm sure they didn't have a big sign-up list for that one either. He told me stories about how he knew running through this camp he'd have weapons in each hand and he'd be shooting off his weapons to cause confusion so they wouldn't be shooting or trying to, to tackle him and he'd just be shooting his weapons as he'd run through this particular camp. Amazing stories that he, he would tell. But he told one story as he went through the camp and he was making his way back to the pickup point. He had to literally begin to crawl his way back through the last couple of miles that he was going because there was Viet Cong in the area and literally came up to a Viet Cong encampment of some form or fashion. So he was he was at a tree and there was there was a bush around this tree and and the Viet Cong literally camped around him that night as he was in this particular tree. He said for 36 hours he had to sit in this bush as the Viet Cong camped around him and he could not move a muscle. He said there was fear, there was fatigue, of course he was hungry, there was pain. There were ants and animals and all sorts of things that were crawling on him. Think about that. You can't sneeze. You can't clear your throat. You can't do anything. The enemy is all around you. And the question comes up, what would you do? What did you do? Will you stick to the plan? There are decisions that are made long before. You're dropped off in the enemy's territory. You just don't pick some guy out of the platoon somewhere, throw him on a helicopter, and drop him in there and say, hey, run, I'll see you, you know, a few miles down the road. It's, that's just not how it works. You're too late. But there's a plan that was made, and when you're in an adverse situation, that's the moment you've got to stick to the plan. You can't vary the plan because of the situation. You stick to the plan. As a believer, you have been dropped in enemy territory. Come on, it's babbling here. The heat is on. Stick to the plan. Don't you drop out of church because of adversity or circumstances. you got to stick to the plan. Don't you disconnect out of your small groups and life groups and gender-specific groups just because everything gets discombobulated. Stick to the plan. Don't you quit praying because praying doesn't seem to work. Stick to the plan. Don't stop reading your Bible. Don't stop being in the house of God. Don't do... I've watched people for years look at me and say, I can't do it anymore because of my circumstances. And you wonder why it's crashing. You didn't stick to the plan.
We fast every year. Why do we fast every year? It's because we're sticking to the plan. I remember, sweetie, when we started prayer meetings. This is how I think. I thought, we're going to start prayer meetings, and in a month, God's going to move miraculously. Well, I don't know that he did in a month. I mean, I'm grateful there were some great things that have happened in the five years that we've done early morning prayer. There's wonderful things, I believe, that could be linked to that. Now, for some people, they would say, well, it's not working, so let's stop. No, no, no. Stick to the plan. Stick to the plan. When adversity comes, you stick to the plan. We're sticking to the plan. That's why we meet every Sunday. It's why we do what we do. We stick to the plan. And it's amazing how God can help you to prevail when you do that. Then lastly, this is it. I'm almost done. Remove the quit option. Remove the quit option. You know, this is going to be funny or paradoxical or ironic to some. But this is my favorite verse. Hebrews 10. Post that, guys. It says this. It says, For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Stop there for just a minute. Go back. 36. Go back. 36. 10. Thank you. You have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. So understand, endurance, make an arrow, promise. Your promises are linked to your endurance. Come on now, that's, that's revelation right there. Your endurance. Now jump to 37. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come, meaning Jesus, and will not tarry. That's a good word, verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith, Listen, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. I read that, and and it's helpful for me to read that on occasion, because this is what I get from it. And, And I'm just purely personal moment here. It's this. God said to me, I don't like quitters. That's that's just what I get out of that. I don't like quitters. And so we have to remove the quit option out of our life. See, when I signed up, when I signed up to walk with the Lord, I signed the blank contract. I didn't know all that I was getting into. He never tells you everything you'll get into. Because he knows if he told you everything you were getting into, you wouldn't sign it. Because you have just enough of the natural man in you that it would either frighten you off or fear you off or whatever the case may be. So he leaves, he leaves some blanks in there. He may tell you a few things, but he's going to leave some, some room in there to write some things in as you go along. And he does that because he knows you're going to have to get some other maturity under your belt before you even get these other things. But he makes you sign a contract. This is what I believe. And when you sign a contract, you sign away the quit option. There's no quitting here. I'm not giving up. I'm not throwing in the towel. The only way you're going to take me out is to kill me. Otherwise, I'm on this thing. That's why Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what he looked at, a hostile Roman Empire, and that's why he penned those words. He said, you let me go. I'm grateful for it. I don't like prison. I'd really like to get out. But if you let me go, I'm still going to do the will of God. If you keep me here and kill me, hallelujah, I'm going on. But I signed the contract. There's no quit option here. You know, every branch of the military has special forces. Now, I know in military 
uh, culture. There, you know, the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, Coast Guard. I know they all have this kind of good-natured rivalry that goes on with each other. I know that it exists in the Special Forces. You have Rangers, and you have the Delta Force, and you have the Green Beret, and, and there are all sorts of, of different Special Forces. And I'm sure if you talk to any of them, they would tell you their Special Forces training is the toughest Special Forces training. So without opening up that can with all the various branches of the military that's represented here this morning, I just want to mention one that I did not mention, and that's the SEALs. Now, I don't know what everyone else does, and and I'm sure it's rigorous and tough, and we respect them all. But SEALs, I will say, are notorious for their training. I know that it's crazy tough. And the reason they do this crazy tough training with these uh, seamen, sailors, is because they want to weed out the quitters. It's because when they send them into circumstances and, and situations that the military have to go in, you can't, you can't say in the middle of it, I don't want to be here. So they've got to do things in their preparation to weed out the quitters. Now, everybody who joins up or signs up for SEAL training, I want you to know these are tough individuals because they already know that they're going into one of the toughest forms of, of training that are available. But even amongst the toughest, there is a quit option that they have, and I'm told that there's this bell that's right in the middle of the camp that they're told at the very first meeting of their uh, training, they are told that there's, this is an automatic quit option. You can stop at any moment in any activity, and you can walk straight to the bell, and you can ring it, and at that moment, we'll know that you have decided you don't want to be a SEAL. And, they, and I think they set it up by saying there's no, you know, there's no embarrassment, there's you know, you're still one of the elite just to be invited here. But nonetheless, it's a bell that says, I quit. And so they'll ring the bell, and they can immediately leave the premises from their training. I started to think about that. I started to think about how Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. You know, Jesus said some of those very words. Jesus really was calling us to a place where we refuse to quit. Whenever you face a difficulty in whatever area of life, if you entertain the quit option, you will choose it. Do you understand? That's why couples today write a prenup. It's a quit option. And can I just suggest this to you, that every prenup that is written, it has secured a divorce. I, I, I bet it's 100%. Now, I don't have any, I don't have any statistics, but... But if I were a betting man, that's what I'd bet. When you preen up a marriage, you're automatically saying, we don't think this thing's going to last. Of course, it's remarkable. I'm watching celebrities that can't last 30 days or 8 days. or You're going, what in the world? Does that not betray any character, if not just the moral character of their connection, but the ability to endure? You guys, God, you just want to grow up. What happened? You didn't get breakfast in bed? What happened? He put his feet on the coffee table. And we venerate these people. I think they're silly. They just, uh, the only difference between you and them is money. That's it. And they won't have that when they die. The quit option. They all are quitters. Quit. 
But that's not enough. We remove the quit option. And I realize that you won't get as much response when you put it out there and you say, hey, understand what you're signing up for. You're signing up that that you're not just asking Jesus to become a part of your life, you're asking Jesus to take your life. You're not asking that Jesus become just another point on your schedule along with the other busy things you do, but you're acknowledging that Jesus is now the designer of the whole schedule. And I realize there's not as many that will sign up for that because we live in an environment that wants to keep our options open. I don't know. I may want to eat at the king's table. I just don't know. You've got to remove the quit option. No turning back. There's power in a made-up mind. I tell this story on occasion about the Spanish explorer Cortez who as he was exploring Mexico had run into uh, something that was happening with all of the Spanish conquistadors as they would would explore uh, the Gulf of Mexico and into Central America. Many of them were facing mutinies and rebellions on their ships. And so when Cortez came and he explored uh, the Aztec areas at the Yucatan Peninsula, And uh, he got all of his crew off his ships, and he got them on land. And then he gave an order. He said, burn the ships. How many of you know you're committed then? (laughs) Burn the ships. And he burned all of the ships, and he he looked at his crew, and he said, hey, there's no going back to Spain. That you can't swim this. You can't get there in a canoe. You can't get, it is, we are committed to this enterprise. And guess what? Whether you like what Cortez did or not, and again, uh, we can debate the history of it, but fact of the matter is, is, is that his amazing conquests, even though he was outnumbered incredibly, are, are legendary. But he removed the quit option. Amazing, amazing how a person fights when there's no such thing as retreat. It's amazing what you'll do when you know there's nowhere else to go. It's amazing. I want to read this, and uh, this is where we'll end. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. The decision has been made. I've stepped over the line. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away. Or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed vision, mundane talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, love with patience, live by prayer, and labor with power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, my guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, or slow up, 
until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and spoken up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner is clear. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The power, see, the power of a made-up mind. Have you made up your mind this morning? It's January 2012. Jesus tarries, there's a lot of year left. Have you made up your mind? How, how are you going to end it? How are you going to live it? How are you going to walk it? And not just this year, but every year God gives you. Have you made up your mind? I don't know how many years he'll give me. I'm believing for my mid-90s or longer, but I'm going to tell you this. I've made up my mind. You'll see me serving him then. I've made up my mind. Stand with me, will you?